The show you're about to hear was recorded before the latest phase of the Russian government's war against Ukraine began on the 24th of February 2022. Dear listener, as creator of this show, I want you to know that I stand in solidarity with Ukraine and with Russians who oppose Putin and his accomplices. There are many ways, financial or otherwise, that you can support the people of Ukraine, but I'd like to highlight Cook for Ukraine, an initiative launched by previous guest on this show, Alyssa Tomoshkina, together with her friend and fellow chef, Olya Hercules. Cook for Ukraine is raising funds for UNICEF UK's Ukraine Appeal, which is providing life-saving food and medical supplies to families who've been forced to flee. To find out more and to donate, please visit cookforukraine.org. My name is Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest, and today my guest is Jenny Shelton. Hi, Jenny. Hello. So glad to have you back once again. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, great stuff, and very nice to catch up with you. Yeah. You, do you know what? You're joining quite a rarefied group of Rus Files Unite guests. We've had quite a few people on for uh, for two episodes, but very few people have been on for three. So oh. you're uh, you're you're kind of like the elite guest oh, veteran well, now. Thanks ever so much. <laughs> I, I prefer elite to veteran. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Now that I say, uh... <laughs> well, you did remind me how long we've known each other recently, and that was a little bit scary. <laughs> Yes. Well, that that wasn't my fault. That was Facebook. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could have just ignored it, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah, like it's what getting on for half our lifetime ago. Wow. Oh, wow. Gosh, yeah. yeah. That is scary. Yep. <laughs> oh. oh, well, moving well, the, on. The good, the, yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, the, the yeah, it's, it's a long time. <laughs> anyway, yes. So, um... For listeners who haven't caught your previous appearances, Jenny, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, So I work for the RSPB. I work in a team that is kind of something you've probably not heard of much. Uh, It investigates wild bird crime. So 
this is people who are unfortunately breaking the law and killing birds of prey. So this is often happening on uh, grouse moors and sometimes on pheasant shoots down south. Um, but yeah, it's mostly a sort of uplands issue and it tends to be where there's a conflict of interest there between people who are managing these landscapes for game bird shooting and then of course birds of prey being predators. That's what they do, they prey on stuff and um, unfortunately, yes, they are being killed and uh, yeah, we, we try and, well, I don't, my uh, colleagues run around trying to uncover these people and I I then tell the stories and try and sort of explain to the world that this is happening uh, with the view of hopefully trying to change that and um, yeah, create some sort of uh, movements in the right direction. Awesome. Yeah, so since the last time we spoke on this podcast, you'd done some other podcasting in connection with with the day job. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I was on the Natural History Museum's Wild Crimes podcast, uh, talking about bird of prey persecution. Um, And it was really good, actually. I have to say, it's one of the things where you really realise podcasts are the way forward, because it was one of the best um, interviews I've been able to do because you get to really go into detail and and sort of chat and you know like like you do on a podcast and that actually lends itself really well to be able to talk in depth about this quite sort of nuanced issue um, and the the hosts were great they asked them really good questions because there's lots of sort of thorny issues about it and you know um, cult the cultural sort of element of it and um, you know what what the solutions are and and how we can take it forward. Um, and, and yeah, it was it was really interesting, actually. So yeah, mm. I talked to them about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, being a podcast, we're going to be biased and say yes, indeed, podcasts mm. are the way forward. And well done, listener, for tuning in or <laughs> downloading, because tuning in is is very old school, old format. But but yeah, no, it's it's a very it's a very good point because the fact that you have so much more flexibility in terms of the format to play with whereas if you're a more traditional like like radio show or or tv show then it's kind of like well this is a three minute segment so that you're going to get like a two sentence uh sound bite exactly so also i was interested to ask what your experience was like being on there because your background for listeners who this is the first time you've heard Jenny, you were you were a journalist by by trade. So, what what's it like to be the other side of the microphone? Oh, that's a really good question, and it's well, how I would describe it is just as terrifying. So, when I used to interview people, I would go into a little room. I'd do loads of prep beforehand, researching generally, kind of D list if I was lucky, celebrities that were coming to <laughs> that were coming to do a, you know, panto at the corn exchange or something and mostly You have to were... be nice you have to be nice, Jenny. You never know. They might be tuning in. Yeah, I hate I was gonna say they were in the most part charming and lovely and great and, you know, always delighted to talk to you, even though they were doing the rounds, you know, talking to everyone in, you know, ten minute slots. Um and yeah, it was it was really scary talking to these quite sort of you know, professionals, you know, they they and I was just this little random journalist, sort of um, trying not to sound like a fool, um, asking him probably really obvious questions. Um, and But it was good, actually. It's one of those things, once you get started, it was really fun. I really enjoyed talking to them. Um, and then, yeah, doing it on the other end, 
I kind of made me think, I wonder if they were into, if they were nervous as well. Um, because certainly, again, if you're on, if you're being interviewed, you've got to do lots of prep and you've got to make sure you've got all the right phrases in front of you and um, prepare for questions that people might ask that are a bit tricky. And yeah, so even if it's a subject you know about and you can talk behind legs off, you've still got to kind of do all that prep. So yeah, um, to start with, scary. And then when you get going, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of interviewing people and, and asking um, asking obvious questions, which I'm sure you never did uh, because, you know, your your class act but <laughs> the fu- the funny thing about being in the general kind of interested in in films is when you get the super a list directors and film stars who've been around the block a long time yeah. but still they're not powerful enough to get out of doing the interview round yeah. and so they <laughs> they so visibly hate being there and then but sometimes that's more fun because then they'll they'll say something like that's really kind of out of left field and then it's an interesting yeah, news story like if they don't really you, care yeah yeah because they're just like well like i i don't have to play my cards close to my chest and be diplomatic i don't i mean i don't know how much thought goes into it whether they're just like oh well if i cause enough problems they they'll not wheel me out again yeah maybe <laughs> the only person i remember who really didn't care was um rupert everett um he was doing a an oscar wild play and um, he just couldn't be asked. I think he was ill, actually. I don't think he was um, firing on all cylinders. And uh, in fact, yes, he did say when we sort of, uh, you know, first connected. And I'm like, hi, I'm Jenny Shelton from the Cambridge News. He was like, oh, hello, hello. I'm not very well, I'm afraid. I'm in bed. Um, I was like, oh, terribly sorry. And he just couldn't be bothered. Like, I kept asking <laughs> questions. He was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess. And you know, you expect him to be really kind of, um, what's the word? You know, because he is quite a wordsmith in a lot of these these plays and show and sort, sort of, of films. Sort of effervescent. That's the word exactly. But he was totally the opposite. And I, just, I got I got away from the interview just thinking I have no material here. Oh no, <laughs> no <that's>... anecdotes. <laughs> and I actually ended up, <laughs> like I got in touch with this um, PR rep and just kind of said, oh, you know, I think I've caught him on a bad day. Um, and I sent her the questions, and I think I'm pretty much mm. sure she just filled them in for me. <laughs> oh, <the> awesome! Well, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, you get the, get the answers in the end. Got, got there in the end. Oh, Funnily yeah. enough, speaking of of Rupert Everett, this is a total tangent. But one of the films I haven't covered yet on this podcast, but I might do at some point in you know several years when I get around to it. It was pretty early in his career. It was like early to mid 90s Rupert mm. Everett was in a film by the uh Soviet director Sergei Bondarchuk like his oh. I think it was his last film which was an adaptation of um Quiet Flows the Don but apparently for years and years like nobody saw saw the film because it was essentially like stuck in kind of post production hell and then due to rights issues or something. It's a convoluted story and maybe I'll just re-record this whole bit. But like <laughs> there is oddly enough a a connection between Rupert Everett and one of the like most famous of Soviet directors. And like oh, wow. as I say, this yeah, this was uh I guess this, I think he died in like two thousand, so this was like six years before he died. Mm. But 
yeah, you just kind of realize when you're a director, you just like as as long as you're successful, you can just kind of go on and on. Yeah. Uh, so oh. it's just yeah. There well, you maybe go. I'll maybe I'll call up uh, Rupert Everett's people and see if I can get him on the pod. Remember me. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a bit about you. On the f- the first episode you were ever on, we talked about uh, Moscow does not believe in tears. That was yeah. very early in the life of uh, life of the show. Second uh, episode we ever released, and then we had you back on to discuss a period drama because you basically. Okay, so this is not how it happened, but I'm going to pretend that what happened was that you said you would only come back if I let you talk about a, a period. I, I drama. said I said that with my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you did say that with your eyes, yeah, yeah. I do, I, and, love and I read drama. that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so that is a good episode as well. I think you liked that film as well. Yeah, it was good. I seem it to was remember. De- we had loads to say about it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was um, Ray Fiennes, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Ray Fiennes, uh, directed by his sister. Yes, that's right. It's a bit of a family affair. Yeah. Oh, oh, I can I can on a random tangent here. I've been in the same room uh, in the. Uh, um, the Houses of Parliament, as his brother Jake finds. So there you go. There's another link. <laughs> okay. Huh. Interesting. That was in a, a debate about um, uh, grouse moor shoot, uh, grouse shooting. Sorry, which I recorded uh, in order to kind of put it online as a bit of a podcast. Although the RSPB hasn't quite done podcast yet, but I'm hoping they do. But yeah, he was talking about. I think he's a landowner, but a good one. And he looked like someone from uh, the Malfoy family in Harry Potter. Is it the only way I can describe him? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's that's in keeping with family tradition as well, with uh, exactly with Rafe being being Voldemort. So. Yeah. Oh, it's all connecting. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Sorry, as well. <laughs> speaking of connections, then so. Obviously, with Russia having this massive canon of like classic literature, finding a period drama was not too hard. So connecting with that area of your interests, you know, pretty elementary. But today, we're talking about your day job, yes. essentially. Eagles. We're talking... <laughs> yes! Yeah, it's, it's, we're having a raptor-tastic episode. <laughs> nice. I'm just, if someone kills the bird, I'll be finding out why and who's to blame and all this sort of stuff. So my eyes are peeled for any wrongdoings. I'm I'm hoping my fingers are crossed for this eagle. <laughs> but it's not looking good from the trailer. It's not looking good. No, the trailer possibly, possibly alerts, alerts the viewer to what might happen. But we'll officially say no spoilers here. Yeah, yeah. well, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, going on what the trailer seemed to suggest but we shall see it's hooked me it's it's made me interested and intrigued which i guess is what a trailer should do exactly exactly so should i tell you a little bit about this film then yes please um so beyond the beyond the trailer uh so it's directed by eduard novikov and it was released in 2018 and it it won it won an award it won the main prize at the moscow international film festival which is the um i think it's the golden saint george is the is the award there because uh, saint george as well as being patron saint of england is also patron saint of moscow so oh i knew he had a few other little patronages elsewhere um i didn't know it was moscow as well that's interesting Yes, so like when you see like on various coats of arms of Moscow, you'll often see like 
him on his steed and um, stabbing a dragon. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he's also the. Um, you you'll probably end up cutting this bit as well, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he he's also the patron saint of syphilis. Or is that one of those urban myths? <laughs> St. <George>. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll ha- we'll have to look into that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this film um, is a little bit different from the other films we've covered so far on this podcast. In that, well, we've covered English language adaptations of Russian things. So, so that's one thing. Most of the films we've covered are in Russian. This one is not. This one is in um, the uh, Yakut language. So Siberia, being a big place, is there's it's more complicated than just Siberia. There's different regions within it, and one of the sub-regions of si- Siberia is the Sakha uh, Republic, which is also known as Yakutia. So if you ever played Risk as a kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> you you might you might know Yakutsk as being like one of the one of the many ter- ter- territories in Asia um, that is on that on the board. I think I might get rid of that. <laughs> I didn't um, play Risk. I was an Age of Empires girl. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Age of Empires one or Age of Empires two? Oh, I think it was at least two. Yeah, that was the one that I kind of grew up on. That was like the medieval one. Yeah, um, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, I don't think there was anything that ever went out as far as Siberia. No, no. But I don't know much about about the history of there or, in fact, the geography of any of there. So it's interesting to hear a bit more about it. Sure. Well, that brings me on to a a bit of a sort of segue about how um, Yakutia comes to to be in the Russian orbit. Uh, So in the... Uh, 17th century, so a little bit before uh, before Oliver Cromwell and Charles the Charles the First in in England, but kind of roughly contemporaneous to that, the like the Russian state based out of Moscow is expanding to the east, and they set up across Siberia these kind of like fort outposts, and basically use those as kind of springboards to conquer territory. So at that Around that time, uh, what's now the Sakha Republic kind of comes into the Russian orbit and the indigenous people are essentially like forced into the like the nascent Russian Empire and they are essentially forced to pay uh, tribute like in the form of uh, of pelts because, oh. yeah, uh, the a book I read to prepare for this episode because I was thinking... I know almost nothing about this part of Russia and Russian history, was um, uh, Jeffrey Hoskins' excellent book, uh, Russia and the Russians. And in that, he compares what happened with uh, with fur in the 17th century in Siberia as being kind of like the fur equivalent of the California gold rush. It was right. like a whole bunch of people who were kind of, like had an eye for the main chance were like I'm going to go out to Siberia and get lots of furs because that will make me very rich and yeah. some people got incredibly wealthy off it other people did not and and the animals didn't do so well out of it though animals did not do so <laughs> well um and also the um 
various indigenous people of the region, in- including uh, the Akut people, were basically like f- uh, forced to to kind of pay up a certain mm. like number of of pelts in order to as sort of like tribute. My historical knowledge of this is is not super super uh, deep, but and I should also put the usual caveat when any British person is talking about imperialism, you know, glass houses and not throwing stones apply. So Russian imperialism is bad. British imperialism is bad. Imperialism in general, we are not fans of in this podcast. Indeed, indeed. But But awareness raising is good. Exactly, exactly. So this film is not set in the 17th century. It is set much more recently. It's set 90 years ago so this is about 10 years give or take after the the reds the communist side won in the russian civil war um stalin has uh consolidated power at the top of the soviet pyramid and while in the revolutionary period and and before the revolution the communists were like self-determination and like the nationalities within the Russian Empire. You should all be allowed to do your own thing. Well, you know, they've kind of changed their tune now that they are um, they are in power. Like, there's sort of like this nominal, you get to do what you want, but as long as the, the thing that you want is to be part of the Soviet Union. Okay. <laughs> so it's one of like, you have, you have lots of choice, by which I mean you have one. Um, yeah, yeah. So, again, grossly oversimplifying. <laughs> One doesn't come to this podcast for super accurate history, but this is kind of a sketch of of what's happening. So this is this is the historical context, and it's out in in Yakutia. So it's way away from the center, and it focuses on uh, an elderly couple uh, who who are from that neck of the woods. And beyond that, I won't say anything else. We'll, we'll get onto the film. One thing I feel like we should also say, though, before we kick off, is that, is that films from this part of Russia are quite a new phenomenon. It's really a post-Soviet thing because it was part of like the Russian bit of the Soviet Union. They didn't have their own film studio, so like the subdivisions of of the Soviet Union that were at the level like what were called union republics places that are now independent states like Ukraine and Georgia and Armenia they had either one national studio each or like several if in the case of of Ukraine but because Sakha or Yakutia was a level below that they didn't like quote unquote like merit like okay. their own film studio so yeah. So it's really a very new phenomenon. And uh, what's super interesting about the films that have come out is that it's it seems like it's been very much led in terms of the the, the storylines from the um, the indigenous Yakut uh, people who make oh, that's up. Cool. I think yeah, they make up about fifty percent of the population of of that republic within hmm. the Russian Federation. So yeah, I'm so excited to be covering uh, one of these on on the show. The reason I got to see it is that the film st- uh, streaming service in the UK and the US called Classicy 
did a season of of uh, Saka films uh, towards the end of uh, of last year, curated by uh, Masha uh, Sibiryakova, who is from that part of the world originally, but she is now uh, based in one of the universities in in London. So, um, so yeah, so she put that short season of films together, and that's how I ended up seeing it. And when I saw it, well, to be honest, when I saw that it saw the trailer, I was just like, I am definitely having going to have to have Jenny on to talk about this <laughs> one. So yeah, definitely worth exploring beyond this film, the other films from that part of the world. And I would highly recommend that people check out uh, Katie Davis's uh, article in the Calvert Journal about the uh, the film industry in Yakutia. It's the article's called "Freeze Frame: How the Arctic Republic of Yakutia Forged Its Own in- Indigenous Film Industry." It's a really fascinating article. So yeah, so that's the film we're watching. That's a little bit of historical uh, context, as much as I can provide it. But uh, yeah, so I think we should launch into the film itself. So at this point in proceedings, then, we have a traditional thing that we say, and that thing is payechli, which essentially means off we go. Uh, And it's a big deal as it's the thing that Yuri Gagarin said when he was blasting off to explore a a new frontier. And I guess that's sort of what we're doing here oh man that was such a cheesy link i love Never it mind it's probably <laughs> staying in okay so without further ado then three two one Pi-yakali. Pi-yakali. this episode of Roost files unite is brought to you with support from classicy classicy is a streaming service specializing in films from eastern europe the Caucasus, and Central Asia. At the time of recording, the film we're talking about on this episode, Edward Novikov's The Lord Eagle, is available exclusively on Classkey. With Classkey, you get access to a permanent library of classic movies from the silent era to today, alongside recent award-winning or crowd-pleasing contemporary films chosen by the Classkey team as Pick of the Week. The service is ad-free, and each film features newly produced English subtitles and specially commissioned programme notes. Classic members will also get exclusive access to a video interview with The Lord Eagles director, Edward Novikov. I am a huge fan of Classic and delighted to recommend it to you. It's available to listeners in the UK and the US at classic.online. That's K-L-A-S-S. I-K-I dot online. You'll find links to the film and an interview with its stars, Zoya Popova and Stepan Petrov, in the show notes for this episode, which we'll also be sharing on the Roosevelt's Unite social media feeds.
Jenny Shelson and I have just discussed the Lord Eagle, or to give it its Yakut title, uh, <laughs> wish me luck, uh, Toyon Kiel, and it's in Russian. It is Tsar Ptitsa, directed by Eduard Novikov. So before we tell you what we thought of the film, we're going to go over to Jenny for a sketch of the plot. So if you haven't watched the film yet, prepare for the potential of spoilers. So if you don't want it spoiled, this is the time to pause and go away and watch it. Okay, spoiler warning issued. Over to you, Jenny. What happens in The Lord Eagle? Okay, so The Lord Eagle, to me, was a film about old age, about changing times, about survival, um, existence even, and sort of man's interaction with nature. So it began in a very desolate, bleak-looking, snow-covered wilderness, and there was a elderly couple... Bleak? Desolate? You'd describe it as as that? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It, it <laughs> very remote. barely habitable. I mean, in, a, in its own way, very beautiful and, uh, and stark. But yes, it, it, they were sort of on the edge of survival, it seemed, uh, this elderly couple in this sort of hut. And it could have been kind of any point in time. I know that it was the 30s, but it, it looked like it could have been any time... Um, sort of 100, 200 years previous to that, potentially. And they were sort of discussing food and fuel and, and the sort of things that they would need through the winter. And they are visited all of a sudden by this eagle, which appears outside their hut. And they're initially fearful of it and they wonder what it wants and, and why it's here and what it, what it's doing and um, what it means. And so they're quite sort of sceptical and fearful of it. And um, they get this shaman in to do a, uh, a dance and, and uh, talk about, well, what, what this eagle wants. And he sort of, I suppose, communicates with the bird. And he tells them that the eagle has returned. It's been sent because humans have been unkind to animals and, um, and the animals have complained about the humans so this eagle has been sent and it wants a sacrifice. So they then sacrifice a cow and feed the liver to the eagle. And so the eagle is obviously like, great, I'm going to stick around. I'm getting fed. So it stays in winter. <laughs> Which they are absolutely thrilled about. Yeah, they're like, oh, no. it's. I mean, it even comes in their house at one point. Um, and I love the way it run, ran, ran along the floor. They've got a really funny run, um, eagles. But anyway, it sort of lurks about and it sort of eyes them up with its beady eyes and it takes the meat that they feed it and they're all the while kind of discussing it and you know, why is it here, what does it want? Um, but they, it also comes out that they, um, they did remember destroying its nest uh, when, when uh, the old man was young. He remembers destroying an eagle's nest and he's regretful of that now. And then it also comes out that they had lost at least a child or, or children themselves. And then, yeah, they, they kind of get to know the eagle and then it, it brings them a fox. And that's the sort of turning point when it, um, it brings them this Arctic fox and they realise, oh, wow, it's kind of bringing us a gift to say thank you for feeding it through the, throughout the winter. So they kind of befriend the eagle and they I think they've quite sort of come around to having it having it around. And all the while they kind of bump into some soldiers every now and again when they sort of 
go into the woods or there's people coming from the village there's obviously a settlement nearby and um yeah they some near the end of the film uh, some of the soldiers come in and they're talking about the new sort of soviet regime that's coming in and what this, this is going to mean for them and they sort of feed them and chat and then they go outside and they you hear this crack of a gun and the woman sort of looks aghast and you think oh no i know what's happened here and then they go out and, and the one of the soldiers is outside and he says oh i noticed this eagle I've, I've i've got rid of it for you it was hanging around and yeah they've they've shot it and the the old man and the old woman are, are devastated and and um they sort of wrap it and and bury it and and um are genuinely really really devastated that this this eagle has uh, has been killed just when they sort of realized it was a a benevolent bird and yeah it was it was to me a kind of bit of a a commentary on sort of man's interaction with nature potentially but uh, what are your reflections after that did i miss anything um no i don't think so i um the only thing i would have said is that the interactions with the two like Komsomol members, the who are like the young the members of the young communist, yeah. like the soldier guys, yeah. that's a bit more like spread f- through the film. So yes. they kind of like they show up periodically and just kind of like uh, mess things up. But but no, that was a great summary. Thank you, Jen. Um, he also um, at one point when they um, meet, sort of in the middle of the film, actually, there's a bit of foreshadowing where uh, the guy has his gun there. And um, shows what a good shot he is, and you think, hmm, this this could definitely be an option if you know this eagle might end up meeting this death because we see what a crack shot the old man is. Um, mm, it's, I mean, it's yeah, not yeah. him that does it in the end, but no, yeah. Well, and at one point he does actually. He's so fed up with the with the eagle kind of lurking around and being this portentous yeah. thing that's like literally staring down on them. That he's just like, right, I'm getting rid of it, and he he has it in his sights, and he we've does, seen yeah. that he's a, and we've seen that he's a crack shot, and you're yeah. sure he's gonna kill it, except you're not, except you know he's not because it's only halfway through the runtime. <laughs> Yeah, he can't bring himself to do it. No, he decides for whatever reason that it's that it's not the right thing. And that's, I guess, the beginning of the turning point. Although for most of the runtime, they really don't like the bird. No, it's they're just really like... scary and sort of sceptical of it, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, understandably, because even if you don't have any particular like religious beliefs tied up with it, it's still it's a massive predator yeah um and at one point they they talk about like oh we're gonna have to like i think it's like we're gonna have to water the cows indoors just because we don't want to leave them alone with it not that it's it can't carry a cow off or anything (laughs) but they're just a bit like "Mm, there's not a lot of food around what if it decides to like you know take an eye out of the (laughs) yeah they don't know again they never specifically say that but they're just generally worried by this thing. yes they're wary of it and sort of suspicious of it um and there is this sense that it's like an angel of death perhaps or some sort of yeah portentous thing that's been sent from from i don't know above or something i mean the other thing which for me was very relevant actually watching this film with you was uh the fact that this actually coincided with a big story certainly big in the conservation world about an eagle and oh, i wonder okay. if i can talk a bit about that now Sure, of course. Yeah, so so what what did we miss? So a news story came out. It was from Dorset saying that two 
white-tailed eagles had been found dead in Dorset and the police were investigating this with the RSPB and this sort of started off a chain of of, uh, of reactions and um, one of them being an MP called Chris Loder in Dorset tweeted saying oh police shouldn't be investigating and shouldn't be wasting resources investigating this the death of this bird Dorset is not the place for white-tailed eagles so there was this huge pile on because these were actually birds from a reintroduction project, which has had lots of sort of time and effort and money been sort of spent trying to bring these birds back. You know, they would have originally been flying all over the country and, and they unfortunately got persecuted out of existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now now you say it, I remember, I, I remember you saying. And yeah. the key word here is reintroduced. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... These birds sort of should be there and they're part of a healthy kind of ecosystem, having a top predator, but people are very wary of them. And it, it was so interesting to me to see in the film that sort of fear of, of um, birds of prey and predators and, and sort of maybe even nature, if you don't know about it. I mean, the, the, the fear is with eagles, people think that it's going to carry off their lambs and it's going to be somehow damaging to their way of life you know often sort of farming potentially the reality is actually they don't eat live lambs or very rarely i mean the fact that they're called sea eagles white-tailed sea eagles they mostly eat fish and yeah you know they might take a a a dead lamb or some sort of carrion perhaps but they're certainly not a big threat to livestock um but certainly there is that sort of embedded fear i think of, of a huge predator which I suppose is understandable, but certainly not a reason to sort of illegally kill it because they are protected. And you, technically, if you're found to have shot one, you could go to jail. So yeah, this this whole sort of um, Twitter storm erupted and lots of people responded to this MP saying, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You know, first of all, who are you to be saying what the police investigate and what they don't investigate? And we love seeing birds of prey. And, and we, we started a, um, a sort of Twitter hashtag on Monday. We had this sort of uh, emergency meeting uh, the RSPB and we decided that we would sort of get people to show their support for Birds of Prey and it was really fantastic we got all sorts of people sharing photos and drawings saying Birds of Prey are welcome in whatever county they lived in and uh, yeah it's been in some of the papers as well something in the Times and yeah it's sort of taken on a bit of a life of its own but it's really sort of started that discussion about eagles and, and predators and I know people get very sort of funny about lynx and you know even wolves and stuff and you know i've been to india where people live alongside leopards and you know it's not ideal but you know they don't have a choice and we are quite sanitized in this country certainly in england we're not used to there being other predators you know we've been for so long top dog we've sort of forgotten what it's like to share with other predators so um yeah they're sort of the reaction of these two elderly this this elderly couple to me, was was quite interesting, and I think it does speak of this fear that people have of the unknown in nature, and sort of the worry that it's going to do some mean it means them some harm. Um, but luckily, they did sort of um, the, the the resolution, I should say, was that actually this bird was benevolent and it it didn't mean them harm. But then, unfortunately, yeah, there were the 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 soldiers at the end who didn't really even think twice about just uh, just murdering it, and and that was the end of it, and. And that, that that sort of sadness at the the loss of the eagle was really felt, and I think a lot of people share that when when that happens in in real life today. 
Yeah, that funeral scene at the end of at the end of the film is incredibly poignant. I, mm. I thought, and and you're quite right. the The killing of the bird at the end it's it's not a malicious act, particularly, and it's not like deliberately cruel. It's just like the definition of thoughtless. Like, yeah, they it doesn't occur to them to ask, oh, do you want us to take care of this this bird? Yeah, they're they're literally just like, oh. This seems to be a problem. Kapow, and it's yes. and it's dead, and it, and they, yeah, it it's kind of symbolic of the Soviet regime, and to be honest, all imperialistic or sort of paternalistic regimes that are basically like we know what's best for you, so yeah. we're we're just gonna we're just gonna do it, and you're just gonna have to live with the consequences. Yeah, yeah, because I thought the way that. Even though they're like not in the film very much, the two young communists are their role in the story is to kind of explore the re- the interaction between the like the established and the long existing traditions and this new regime that's basically yeah. just decided we're in charge and we know what's best. Yes, because they say something like you shouldn't have cows in the same place that they are. You know, they've got to be moved to a different shed or something like that. Like quite sort of dictating how they live kind of thing. Yeah. And on sort of one side of the coin, there's a sort of a benevolent intent behind that. They're, they're kind of concerned about people's health and mm. they want to make conditions more more sanitary. But at the same time, they're just kind of ordering pe- uh, people around and just yeah. like going, this is how it's going to be. There's no interest in kind of like governing by consent. Oh, man, I'm sounding like such a such a bleeding heart liberal but at the same time it's just like they're just kind of clomping around and just like acting like they own the place mm. which is kind of ironic for a, a, <laughs> a, a an ideology that's kind of like oh everything is public and everyone is sharing and it's just like mm, yeah but you're in charge though aren't you but actually i think i i'm kind of portraying the way the film portrays them as being like very straight down the line, but the film is way more subtle than I'm kind of yeah. making it out to be. Like it, it sort of allows you to draw those conclusions rather than just going like the communists are the villains. Like yeah. they end up being, but it's not. It's not because they're like deliberately evil. It's because no. they're just like arrogant and misguided. Which what did you? Um, you'll know more than me about when she sort of sometimes she would put the 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 picture of the icon up and light a candle by it and then she would take it down if she knew they were coming round. Oh yeah, absolutely. So pretty much all the way through the Soviet Union there was very much like atheism is the official like religious policy of of the state and so we're not interested in allowing religions to, you know, to do their own thing. Okay. As the decades went on, their attitude kind of like softened and was a bit more like okay fine if you have to but we're going to we're going to make life difficult for you and we're going to like say that you're stupid and ignorant and like encourage people to like to mock you um but we're going to allow you to just kind of do your own thing but in the in well pre-world war ii really there was very much a more active like no, no, we're going to like persecute you out of existence. So I think they were 
probably like had I don't this is where I really don't know the history they're probably less heavy-handed with religions that they didn't see as being particularly a threat um but certainly with the the orthodox church that was essentially the the state religion of of the tsarist regime there were much more kind of like no nah, there there's the this town is is not big enough for the two of us so yeah. guess who guess who's going so yeah i think that's why you have the the woman her name was opus at least in the in the credits like she was very much like okay um i'm going to keep this keep this in in the drawer i might put it up some of the time but you know, if if I'm worried that they might come round, I'm going to make sure that it's that it's away. Yes, that was quite an interesting symbol of the transition period they were perhaps in, because they were still very much of the old way, but maybe starting to move into the new way, and and certainly the the new way was starting to impose itself on them. So, yeah, it was interesting that kind of flipping up and down of that um, icon iconography sort of portrait of um, that was yeah seem to be representative perhaps of that transition period perhaps yeah one thing that's really worth saying is that it's the film depicts uh, syncretism in beliefs really interestingly okay that's something that's really quite common across history is is having two sets of like religious belief systems that like on paper shouldn't really overlap but they're overlapping anyway so on the one hand this couple are hurt more extent than him like practicing orthodox christians they have like they celebrate they celebrate christmas and they have they have the icon but on the other hand uh, the husband performs like a a ceremony to like a fire deity and he kind of like consults like he says a prayer to the fire deity yeah because i I think he's I can't remember exactly what what he was asking. I think he was basically like asking for protection and of course they they also have the the shaman come in. Yeah. Which again is not something that you would normally associate as like part of orthodox Christianity, but the two things kind of coexist. Yes, that's interesting. On I hadn't this thought edge of that. Of the of the empire. So it's it uh, or the old like Russian empire. So that's that's super interesting. And one thing I thought was was really ambiguous was when the shaman is like performing the ceremony and dancing and he's got like this elaborate kind of costume that he's wearing that is very rattly and very mm-hmm. noisy. Opus is looking around very nervously and I was kind of like, is this because she's nervous because like the shaman is is essentially like inviting the presence of like of a deity or the yeah. divine, which is like a, an inherently kind of scary thing to do. Or is she just worried that he is making a racket? And <laughs> if the and if the Komsomol guys come round, they're going to be like, uh, what's going on here? Oh, yes. That's an interesting play of, yeah, the superstition versus the very practical, which was actually a few times that comes to, comes into play. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and she does have like because they have a little bit of a a sort of religious conversation with the uh, she does with the two Komsomol guys when they come round. Like this film, it's quite bleak and it's quite harsh, but there are kind of like there's like subtle kind of like wry humor in there. Yes, definitely. I was going to say that. Like the scene where 
the two Komsomol guys come around and basically invite themselves in for tea, kind of mm-hmm. like on a pretext that they're telling her like the latest kind of decrees from from the government, which they are there to do, but they're yeah. also there to kind of be waited on, which is kind of funny. And yeah, so they're so they're basically like having her wait on them, uh, but at the same time they're telling they're telling her. You know, you now have equal rights, and your husband he can't boss you around anymore. And, oh, yeah. and at the same time, they're essentially like expecting her to wait on them, just yes, because like, and perform a very female role and and exactly. wait on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that made me chuckle. Yeah, there was some good humour. I think yeah, it does seem very sort of bleak when we describe it, but right at the start, um, I kind of chuckled because they're that the uh, interplay between the the older couple was at times quite humorous and it was probably similar the sort of thing that you would get between a couple of that age at any time in any place you know a couple who have lived together for a long time and you know they they were quite sort of the the, the way they spoke to each other and their dialogue was actually quite funny um, i think at one point he sort of said Oh, have you heard any news lately? And it's like, clearly there's been no news. They live in the middle of nowhere. It's not like there's (laughs) much going on. But like the way they kind of, I don't know, quite brusque with each other, perhaps. It's just, I don't know, it's quite charming in a way, quite sort of endearing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's like grade A bickering. Yeah. (laughs) And there's one point where she goes out of the hut and she doesn't have like one like layer oh, of yeah. shawl over and he's like and why he are basically... you dressed like a young girl or something what are you doing yeah, going you, out like why this why are you running around half naked and it's like yeah. uh she's like got one less shawl on yeah yeah <laughs> but it's out of concern but he just expresses it in such a like crotchety old man way yeah and she equally is very um, kind of like Brr. she almost you almost expect her to sort of like roll her eyes at the camera at the things he does and things like that it's quite sweet yeah yeah, yeah. And and she calls him old man like the yeah. whole way through the film. Yeah. Like Yeah, which is which is pretty funny. Um, but then it's sad when he falls ill towards the end and again that sort of practicality kicks in where he's going, Well, what are you gonna do without me? You know, that sounds like, you know, what someone might say tongue in cheek nowadays, but their situation is so dire almost that, you know, without him actually she probably would struggle to survive and to manage the cows and and do everything herself because it's quite sort of physical work that they have to do um, and they're clearly quite elderly yes yeah and she's possibly slightly more frail than he than than he is but yeah they're they're both like pushing 70 and yeah yeah they're clearly very very as you say dependent on each other and yeah that scene is absolutely heartbreaking because he's just discussing essentially like these are your options you could go and live with you know, this relative of mine, or you could seek out your relatives that you haven't seen yeah. for ages. And like, because just don't, he's basically worried about it. He's just like, don't even think about trying to stay here by yeah. yourself because you, you won't last. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Like a lot in this film, like it's, it's so worth watching, but it's, 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 it's a heavy film. <laughs> yeah. But it's not long. It's not a slog. No, no, it's um actually I was one of the things I was going to ask you is that as somebody who is a writer of fiction yourself and a and a English lit grad what were your thoughts on the storytelling? Oh, good question. Um yeah, I think it was good. It it had a good 
sort of set up well, here's the situation, and then the arrival of the eagle would be described as the initiating incident, which is the thing that sort of comes to then stir up and change the sort of status quo, the established sort of situation that we've we've now been shown. It builds a lot of tension and you go through the development of the situation quite well from them sort of wondering what the eagle's there for and then sort of it will drop hints about what's happened in the past and you'll learn a bit more gradually about this couple um for instance the fact that they've lost a child and the fact that he'd been and sort of destroyed a nest in his youth um and there are some flashbacks aren't they to that that sort of um like ribbons on a string and stuff like that but yeah it sort of drips a few bits more information as as the plot goes along and then it yeah it does build to that turning point of of uh, of them coming to accept the eagle and then the sort of sudden twist at the end or or perhaps not a twist but that resolution at the end of of the eagle unfortunately being shot so yeah i thought it was mm. it's a good it's a good structure definitely and um uh i think it works works really well yeah it's really economical both in terms of like it's not dialogue heavy there's quite mm. a lot of scenes where it's mostly told visually but you kind of get enough with the conversations and the conversations are like very significant but at the same time it 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 doesn't feel like there's big exposition dumps as you were saying like it kind of like drip feeds you like more information and you kind of like slowly build up a picture it actually seems like all of it fits together the sort of the setting and the tone and the fact yeah you say sort of being economical with with the dialogue it wouldn't sit well if it was a very sort of desolate and and quiet wilderness but it was this huge sort of like sweeping very sort of dramatic kind of like sensational type story or 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 way of filming like the the style of filming and the style of telling the story seems to fit very well to the setting and the themes and the subjects does that make sense yeah absolutely you could say it's like a very quiet sort of meditative film almost yeah, yeah. like it's it's the atmosphere not... is 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 good i think they, they work and create that appropriate i think feeling atmosphere yeah like it sort of simmers along yeah and it, and it kind of gradually creates its effect rather than just being like bam pay attention yeah. to me yeah and the themes are interesting i think it's worth it for you can pick up on things and i mean everyone will surely read something different into it of course i come at it from this uh, rather bizarre place of knowing all about people <laughs> killing birds of prey. So yeah, to me, it was resonant in that sort of sense. But um, other people, I'm sure, would would read other things into it, which is a, a mark of a good film, I think, if you can take lots of things away from it. Yeah, and certainly like leaving it open enough for people to draw their own conclusions as well. Yeah, I think is, yeah, is something that yeah, that definitely I admire rather than just being like no this is the lesson yeah that can be fine (laughs) that can be fine you can you can do that very well but i feel like that works better with short films than with i mean than feature length but this as i say like 80 minutes is a brilliant runtime for a film like if you can tell your story in 80 minutes that's great yeah yeah because yeah so many films are like two hours and a half and oh god like... so many now sort of three aren't they some of the ones that come out now all the blockbusters and what have you you rarely see one that's less than two and a half or three hours and who's got that amount of time to 
sit still well, quite <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah especially like of an evening during the week i'm yeah. it's like look i'm getting old i need to be <laughs> up and at work in the morning tomorrow so yeah 9 30 oh, is my bedtime so <laughs> oh man yeah I, I just yeah just move me into my hut in in siberia and just <laughs> yeah no um i'm being silly but i think i haven't really asked you we've we've touched on like the raptor persecution element i i wanted to to go a bit more specifically though and you'll you'll hate it if i call you like a raptor expert. Oh, I'm definitely not. No. You you spend a lot of time with people who are very very knowledgeable uh, about these birds. So, in terms of stuff you've kind of picked up over the years, what did that allow you to spot that might have passed passed me and other kind of like more sort of lay people to the raptor world? But, yeah, nice. You know. That's a that's a good question. So it's a very uh, yeah. It's not the most succinctly worded question. But yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, of course, I hadn't re- even thought to say that it's a golden eagle. So um, we do get those in Scotland. Um, yeah, I've actually never seen one, but I'm going to Scotland soon, so I hope that I will. Potentially a juvenile. When I showed it to my partner, who is more uh, up on his bird ID skills. Uh, he saw the trailer and went, oh, well, it looks like a jovey. That's the technical term, a jovey. Um, so, because it still had a few white feathers in it. So golden oh, eagles are sort okay. of brown with a slightly golden head, but mostly just look golden brown all over. Um, and we were remarking about how it sounded so sort of um, chick-like. You know, it had a real chattering call. I mean, an eagle you think is going to be, you know, this really commanding lord and, and king of the birds. And it sounds like, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. it is really incongruous it's kind of like yeah. squeak and you're yeah. just like really really <laughs> i imagine something like much more throaty yeah <laughs> that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up but it's just this peeping noise yeah it sounds really silly coming from a bird like that so um yeah i think what else can i say about it i mean yeah i think that's the, that's the main thing it was behaving probably as an eagle would really um looking for food basically <laughs> And uh, scavenging and, um, yeah, I mean, golden eagles will catch live prey as well. But it wouldn't, yeah, actually, that's <laughs> it definitely wouldn't come into someone's house. <laughs> but then maybe it isn't an eagle. Maybe it is some sort of spirit bird or sort of um, strange kind of, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, it, I guess you can say, yeah, the film, it doesn't kind of spell it out either way. It basically kind of allows you to interpret it as uh, as you want to i mean it's clearly like it's clearly a physical bird because you see like them bury it at the end yes you know? yes and the and the other people see it because originally i wondered if only they could see it but then of course the the other guys that come in obviously see it as well but yeah the um facts I, I was also going to add about how they sort of the bird almost in a way brings out their deepest fears and, and, and regrets perhaps in life. And it kind of seems to initiate this self-reflection and it they sort of um, project their fears onto it. And I think that was quite an interesting tool to use. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because so much of the film is about how people interpret their past mm. because they're just debating backwards, backwards and forwards. Like, and they're saying, I don't even remember this happening. Like, what happened? And when the shaman says, you destroyed 
destroyed their nest. What it turns out the actual memory is that eventually kind of like resurfaces in Mikipa, who is who's the, the husband. Um he remembers startling an eagle that was carrying like a large stick um oh, in flight. Right. And he remembers startling it somehow and then it dropped the stick. Yeah. So he kind of like extrapolates from that that maybe because the bird lost this stick, it wasn't able to build as good a nest as it would have done otherwise. And, yes. and that kind of had a knock-on effect. Yeah, which is kind of based on only his fear. It's not actually necessarily the truth, but he obviously no. had that guilt that that may have happened because of him. And likewise, he... I think at one point, again, a sort of slightly um, droll kind of comment, he sort of says, oh, it, the bird is mocking us for being old, um, based yeah. on nothing. You know, obviously birds don't mock. They don't have any sort of awareness <laughs> of how old a person is. But he that, that says more about him, that he obviously is yeah. aware of his age. And so he's then projecting it onto the bird. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's just about how, yeah, humans interpret the world around us and kind of project things onto it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, by the end, the fact that the that the eagle does bring them these, like, apparent gifts does yeah. seem, like, very sort of anthropomorphic. Yes, yes, it was a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which kind of lends itself more towards the, no, there's something kind of more supernatural going on with this yes. creature. Because obviously you can train birds of prey to to do stuff for you, but this bird seems to do it of its own volition well i was looking out to see whether it was a falconer's bird that because obviously they've used a real eagle in the in the film um and talking about sort of training it to do stuff um so something i often look for is whether it has jesses on its legs oh okay so that's the thing that would attach it to a glove sort of when it lands on oh, you oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah and that's a sign that it's a falconer's bird and um i noticed a few times it, it was the camera angle was such that you could maybe only see one of its legs or couldn't properly see its legs mm, and i thought oh, I wonder oh okay if that's how they've got it to come and fly to a certain point and you know it was obviously quite well trained um to be able to do certain things so i'd i'd be interested to see a making of actually uh, how they actually did that with the bird or whether it was several birds because it, it probably was yeah yeah i mean this makes me want to look because i've never seen the film kess oh yeah Proper Yorkshire film. I was going to say, yeah, your neck. <laughs> it's really depressing. I think I watched it when I was sort of at that sort of stage in my teens where I was sort of trying to improve myself and um, read lots of the, the classic literature and watch all the classic films. And I borrowed it from um, a friend and, God, it was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite, it's very sort of old old fashioned. I mean, it, I guess it is a classic and stuff, but I yeah, haven't really watched it, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's Ken Loach. That's his stock in trade. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the absolutely bleak. But um, yeah, and I was just trying to think of other Bird of Prey films because they're such, they're such like cinematic creatures. They do really lend themselves to to the big screen because they're so yeah. I mean, incredible and majestic. It did have such a presence about it and the way it looked, it had such a sort of... Um, awareness behind its eyes it seemed to they do have the sentience this sort of um i don't know intelligence that you can almost see again i mean that might just be anthropomorphizing it but it's things like eagles and and some of the larger you know elephants and and, and apes and stuff they sometimes do look like they've got a bit more going on behind the eyes yeah 
and just how imposing it is like when you see it on the tree next to next to the house it's just like it's huge it's kind of like it almost looks yeah. like how is that tree just not falling over with this giant <laughs> bird on it you know i mean especially it did look pretty massive yeah i mean in real life there what what usually happens is when you see a bird in the wild people overestimate the size of it oh, okay. so we'll often get reports of like oh we saw this bird of prey and it was it was um it was six feet long and the wingspan and, and it, it turns out it's a buzzard which are actually probably about the same size as a crow uh they're not massive but they always look bigger and, and you know you always want to think they're bigger yeah, well and, and especially if they've got their wings at full stretch yeah yeah they're quite imposing yeah an eagle i'm trying to think a golden eagle's probably about the size of like a canada goose or something oh okay yeah and those are big so-and-sos they're, they're quite fat <laughs> i mean it's not as fat as a goose no no it's more like straight up and and tall but yeah seeing a canada goose perched in a tree like that would be very funny but <laughs> yeah the but, film okay. would have a completely different tone wouldn't it, if it was just a duck sat in the tree <laughs> now, now i want to now i want to make a comedy about a solitary canada goose that has like no friends so decides to make friends with some humans Oh. And chaos ensues. <laughs> yeah. Talking of um, films with eagles, I mean, to bring the tone into a totally different direction, did you ever watch The Rescuers Down Under? I did, but probably ha- haven't seen it since I was five or six. No. Well, we used to watch it, you know, back in the day when you only had like two videos or whatever, so you always <laughs> like rewatch them. Yeah. We we had that, which was probably taped off the telly at Christmas. And um, we would just watch it all the time. And I remember they had a boy um, in in Australia who would ride on a golden eagle. Okay. I mean, that just seemed to me like the most amazing thing and, you know, life goal. But then I realised actually they're not quite that big. (laughs) No. (laughs) But that's a great film with an eagle in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, you've got the the, the, uh, deus ex whatever the Latin is for eagles in, um, in Lord of the Rings. They turn up at the end. Oh, yeah. And everyone always goes, oh, there's a plot hole. Why didn't they just use the eagles in the first place to fly them there? It would have been such a quicker... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Traipsing all across the different um, lands. Oh, we're going to get tweeted at. Oh, no, yeah. Sorry, everyone. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I was going to say, mentioning the tree, the film's actually based on a short story by a Yakut author, uh, called uh, I've written it down Vasily Yakovlev, um, and the and the title of the short story is the Larch Tree that Grew Old with Me. Oh yes. So presumably that tree next to the house, like I want to call it a hut, but it's it although it's quite basic, it's still incredibly robust. Yes, it looked like one of these Earth ships that Carrie was talking about. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of looks the combination of like an Earth ship and some kind of like pre-modern like military bunker yeah 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 very sturdy so uh yeah that that was kind of funny how we how we were talking about the whole you know trying to trying to live more with the grain of nature rather than just being like nope we're gonna conquer you and just yeah get out the way um because that seems to be a lot of the kind of subtext of this of this film is essentially trying to go with the grain of of things rather than fighting against it and the soviet komsomol guys kind of like represent the attitude of like nope nature is just here for us to do whatever we feel like with it 
Yeah, yeah, or just in the way, or, or just a nuisance. Yeah, which still happens now, you know. Well, quite um, uh, with the with the raptor persecution in, in this country. <laughs> I guess that's... I mean, even like, yeah, go on. Just yeah, the 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 absolute opposite end of the of the political spectrum is the is the like raptor yeah. persecution in this country now versus as it's depicted in the film. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. There you go. Sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Maybe I mean. It t- to me sort of reminded me that people do form a really close connection with with nature and and um, actually you know if something does come into your garden or something like that you can actually get that real pleasure from it and that was a kind of nice more optimistic kind of take home from it the, the sort of reminder that whenever you do get to know a creature I mean we had a hedgehog in our garden for instance um, over the over the summer and it was fantastic knowing that it was sort of eating the food that we'd put out for it and it was sort of um coexisting with us was a really sort of special joyful kind of thought and you know even just feeding feeding blue tits in your garden it's obviously not an eagle but you get that similar sense of connection with the wild which is so mysterious and so um remote and and sort of almost magical and then so whenever it does come and interact with your own humble life it does feel quite special yeah i think Part of it maybe is just it's just it's it's something that is I guess that connects us with humanity going all the way back is that yeah. we haven't always had the same technology, but you know animals have changed over the millennia as have we, but the pace of change is so is so much slower than the pace of change of our technology so yeah, just you yeah. know being in a field with some i with i don't know some sheep or some cows and stuff or like you say in the garden with a with a hedgehog it's just like somebody 200 years ago could have been having a very kind of similar experience yes yeah. we've always lived alongside birds um there's a really good book if anyone is interested in in birds in the in the listenership by Simon Barnes and I think it's called The Meaning of Birds, and it's basically talking about why we're fascinated by them. And it's really lovely, actually. The, the writing is beautiful, um, but also the the thoughts that he has and the the sort of subjects he talks about are incredible. And it's, it's basically talking about how, you know, potentially, we may have, as humans, learnt to, to speak and to sing because we were hearing birds singing around us. You know, that's an amazing thought. Um, and that kind of... Yeah, lots of these things that do connect us back through time. You know, they've always been there. And in our daily lives, I mean, actually bumping into a hedgehog is fairly rare. But most of us live our lives seeing a bird every day, whether it's a pigeon or a Canada <laughs> goose or whatever it might be, maybe something more interesting. Um, they're, they're always around. And, and in nature, they are the, the one thing that I think we see and that may be connected with the most in a way. And similarly to us, they're also creatures of, of sight and sound whereas mammals go a lot by their smell yeah i think sometimes we have maybe more in common with them than we think and and that can perhaps explain some of our sort of fascination with them and connection perhaps yeah yeah because in some ways they seem so other you know Mm. whereas whereas mammals you can kind of 
you can sort with well with some of them <laughs> the bigger ones you can kind of see okay i can see how i like in terms of some of the behaviors you can go oh yeah there's a flicker of recognition here but there's something about yeah. birds that's so other and different and like and even the way they move sometimes just kind of reminds me of like clockwork yes totally we had a wren in the garden and it just honestly it was so like a, a clockwork is exactly the way to describe it the staccato jolty movements of it as it sort of beetles away at the base of a shrub looking for insects and it just looks like someone's wound up a little mechanical toy and then set it off yeah fantastic but those observations about like how they they kind of share the vocal powers Mm. and and the fact that they as you say creatures of sight that observe things and and rely on those senses i guess i've never really thought about it that way before Mm. but they can do the one thing we dream of is flight I think that's the other sort of mystical thing they have, isn't it? Yeah, and even when we achieved that, we just do it in so much more of a humdrum way because, you know, we're... Well, did you... I can give you a good fact here about um, peregrines are actually responsible. So peregrine falcons are the fastest birds in the world and um, there's a certain type of fighter jet which is modelled on um, a peregrine's shape and the sort of the way it, um, it, it pulls air through its nostrils or something... Um, is it was replicated when they were engineering this type of really really fast jet. Huh. So we're we're constantly inspired by them, even in in that kind of way. <laughs> That's so interesting. I feel like I've really preached heavily about birds. I do apologise. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a film called The Lord Eagle. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I I don't know what the literal uh, translation of the of the Yakut name of the film Toyon Kiel is, but the Russian title. Tsar literally means Tsarbird. Oh, okay. That was something else I was going to ask you about. Mm. So when I went to Russia, I remember them always talking about the doppel-headed eagle. Right. And what is that? So that is like, it was basically the Tsarist imperial symbol. because, right. And it was an eagle with two heads, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was something that... Uh, I spotted this time, I totally missed the first time I watched the film, was that you briefly see on the shaman's cloak, you briefly see a double-headed eagle, and it looks so much like a Russian imperial eagle. I'm kind of like, huh, I wonder what the deal is with that. But yeah, so it's just like a Russian imperial like symbol because almost everybody who's been interested in empire kind of are like fanboys of of the Romans. So they're like, well, yeah. they had eagles, so we want to emulate them, so we're going to have eagles too. Although I don't know that Roman eagles were double-headed, but whatever. Um, <laughs> actually, that's that's something that may be worth mentioning, is that the Russian pre-communist state, the Tsarist regime, like, saw itself as the like the third iteration of, of Rome. So you are, obviously you had the OG, and then when the Western Empire collapsed, uh, well, by that point, it, the capital had already moved to Constantinople, but uh, the Byzantines, they continued to call themselves uh, Romans all the way up to when they were uh, conquered by the Ottoman Turks. So they were they were Rome Mark II. And then as Orthodox Christians who were kind of following in the footsteps of the Eastern Roman Empire based out Constantinople, they were like, okay, well, we are the third Rome. And there was even like a whole prophecy about it that was 
uh, was very convenient that turned up. It was just like, yep, we're the third Rome, so we're super legitimate. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to stick eagles convenient. everywhere. Well, it comes back to, I mean, just one sort of final thought. You mentioned a Kestrel, well, you mentioned Kez before. And sure. That's from a Kestrel for a knave, which was a saying, and it was something like an eagle for an emperor, a Kestrel for a knave, a Merlin for a, for a lady. And that was some sort of medieval order of, of um, who owned what birds. Oh, that's super interesting. This has been really fun. Yeah, it's been good to chat and great to watch a cool film and, and discuss it. And you see so much more when you sort of, thinking i'm going to be talking about this later so i better pay attention and um it's really quite nice to make notes on a film and then discuss it afterwards so thank you yeah it must have taken you back to your cambridge news days yeah well even before that to my literature and film days (laughs) oh of course yeah 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 and that was a lot of how our friendship developed at at, at university i don't i think i might have said this on the first episode you're on how like you essentially kind of like snuck me into the literature and film screenings. Yeah, yeah, because we watched all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, and I th- I seriously think if I hadn't gone along to those, I probably wouldn't be the film nerd that I am now, just because... Oh, wow. Yeah, just because it exposed me to, to older films that were incredible mm. and at an age where I was just gravitating towards, like, just stuff that is current is good and anything yeah. that's older than me why would i care and it was like <laughs> this is why you should care because it's great and we're watching the whole thing <laughs> so cool yeah. oh well i'm so glad <laughs> but yeah that was fun as yeah, well so i got the impression that you really liked it but my big question then is not whether you'd recommend it but whether would you recommend this to anybody or just specifically people with an interest in birds of prey and you know the natural world or would you make it like a broad recommendation i think i'd recommend it to yeah people who are interested in the natural world and people who i know like a good sort of thoughtful film a thought-provoking film yeah yeah because it's it's, it's, this is not like a popcorn munching film but it is no (laughs) it's a it's a great slow burn i haven't even talked about how gorgeous the visuals are Mm. you've just got these incredible like bleak landscapes and then the interiers they remind me almost like of caravaggio or some rembrandt paintings wow that's a really good reference with just like the intense contrast yeah the dramatic light and shade yeah and the warmth of the fire yeah 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 and this glow about it the cinematographer whose name i have not written down just really earns their money so just visually it is a treat and yeah absolutely worth watching for that um so yeah, yeah thank you so much for uh, giving me a, a reason to uh, to see it again it's it's been a lot of fun before you go then is there anywhere on internet that you would like to direct people towards if they're interested in hearing more from you jen oh well follow me on twitter for all sorts of stuff about nature and and uh, it's not all the depressing bird of prey stuff i don't put that all on my twitter um but it's at jenny shelton cam from my cambridge news days and do check out if you want to have a a bit of a an ogle into the whole mp eagle debacle it's quite a tasty story and it's actually lovely to see all the cool people and loads of adorable drawings by children of eagles and birds of prey and yeah it's it's quite a heartwarming thing which I think is worth checking out if you're interested in that. 
you'll find that on my Twitter probably, or just Google white-tailed eagle dorset (laughs) so that's quite an interesting tale um and yeah i hope it's maybe shone a bit of light on what's sort of happening to birds of prey here and and how people feel about them there's definitely a a real uh two two camps unfortunately i suppose people some people really don't like them but a lot of people really do and i'd like to think most people really do and certainly a lot of the the lovely um messages and drawings that people posted were very heartening and will warm the cockles Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for those recommendations. I, I would heartily recommend you follow Jenny on, on social media. As she says, it's not all depressing bird stuff. There's some it's incredible <laughs> incredible wildlife photography that's that's you're you're basically like my eyes and ears for those sort of issues. I would know nothing about it as I'm very much like city boy type. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, I'm very glad to bring a bit of countryside into into your life. Also, actually, um, I should shout out about Instagram probably because there's a bit more. I was um, hoping you like would videos and yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, <forgot. laughs> I like to do little videos, so there's a few bits on there which might be interesting too. Definitely. And and what's your handle on there? Uh, that is a very good question. What's my name on there? I think it's Jen underscore H underscore Shelton. Great. We'll put it all in the show notes so people don't have to look too. Cool. Hard, so. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me on it's been a pleasure to chat to you oh, Ali my pleasure. and I my hope pleasure. everyone's enjoyed listening <laughs> it's it's been so much fun thank you again for for joining us Jen okay and that's all that we've got time for today thanks very much for joining us and das Vidania, folks das Vidania. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Mm.